Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Last lesson this evening on build or rebuild, and we're talking about either rebuilding a life or building a life, and the principles apply either way. And we used Nehemiah, of course, rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, and we talked about what he had to do in order to achieve what God set him out to do. And we got to the point last Sunday that we talked about some building materials that are necessary if we're going to either build a life, a family, any kind of structure, a business, an enterprise, a church, whatever. And we talked about the building material of love, divine love, and how important it is that love is one of those primary building materials that we use in our individual lives. And then, of course, in every direction as far as guiding us in family life and etc. Then we talked about the need to be forgiving people, that forgiveness in the eyes of God is very important, so much so that Jesus said, if we don't from our heart forgive people that have wronged us, then our Father won't forgive us. Turn us over to put us into the prison until we pay all of our debt. I don't think anybody wants to do that, do you? Then we talked about an awareness of the fact that we're in this world that is under the powers of darkness. Jesus said he's the prince of the power of the air. Paul called him this same thing, the God of this world. And we've been told that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places that are coming up with strategies to do what? Bring us down, to destroy us as individuals, as families, and as a church or a business and whatever. We need to be aware of that. And then have the right mindset. Get our minds renewed to the word of God. Because the battlefield is where? Right here in the mind. To start thinking the way God wants us to think. Because as we think, so we are. And, of course, we need to renew our minds to God's word so that we're not deceived by the enemy as Eve was from the very beginning. As she was beguiled, yes, she was deceived into thinking what was a lie was the truth. And, as a result, she lost out. Then we talked about the need to confess the word of God, proclaim it, uh, declare it, decree it over our lives. Thou shalt decree a thing and it shall be established. God always works with his word. The Holy Spirit takes the word and makes it a reality. In the beginning, God said, that's the spoken word, and then the Spirit of God made that a reality. And so we confess what the word says about us, and what we confess is rooted and grounded in what God had spoken or God had said, and then the Holy Ghost makes it good on our behalf. And so confession is a very vital key to develop, be, developing you know, the kind of structure that God wants us to have. And then we talked about prayer, the power of prayer. Prayer is also necessary. We don't want to breach in the wall of prayer. Use prayer as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane to stand against whatever was coming against him until he prayed through to victory and then he knew he was able to successfully go through what he had to suffer there in the crucifixion and all that it entailed. But he was prepared for that. And he said, look, the Spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. And if we don't pray and stay prayed up, what happens? We become weak. And as a result, of course, we could succumb to temptation. And then, of course, we talked about the power of praise. 
that it's important that we develop a lifestyle of praise because it's the only sacrifice that we in the New Testament are to sacrifice to God. The sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. We don't kill animals and sacrifice them, offer up their blood or anything like that. What we do is we praise God for what Jesus did for us. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And thank God we're beneficiaries of all that He did, all that He died for. And all that he bought and paid for for us. So we praise him for the victory. We praise him because he hears us and he's become our salvation. So these are some of the key building materials that we said every believer, every child of God should use to construct his or her life on solid ground so that when the storms of life come our way, praise God, we can overcome. To continue our study, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 17 through 20 from the NIV version of the Bible. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in Him it has always been yes for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? The promises that God makes are yes promises. We say the amen to the glory of God. We give our amen to what God has done for us, the promises that he's made for us. So tonight, our subject is going to be building our lives upon the promises of God and understanding that these promises belong to us and there's nothing better as far as material is used to build a life with. We trust in the promises of God. And there are many precious promises, but we're just going to look at a few tonight. Now, a promise is only good as the integrity, ability, and also the willingness of the promise maker to make good on his promise. Someone can promise you the world, but if they can't produce, what good's the promise? No good at all. And so it's important that we recognize the fact that all the promises of God, as we just read in Scripture there, are backed up with a yes-yes guarantee. God said, all my promises are yes. And it sometimes puzzles me that if God said that, why do some people say, well, sometimes God says yes, and sometimes God says no. I think I have an answer for that. If you ask according to his will, his word, and his promise, the answer is yes. But if you ask something that you want, that he doesn't provide for you in Scripture, you're not asking according to his will. But when we ask according to his will and his promises, we know the answer is what? Yes, look at 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56. Blessed be the God that had given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. That is an impeccable track record. Have you ever made a promise that you didn't follow through on? You might not want to answer that. Well, I believe we have scripture that revealed to us God's integrity, God's ability, and God's willingness when it comes to his promises. 
And if you study scripture from beginning to end, you'll find out that no matter what promise God made, he never failed to follow through to make the promise good. And so it's important that you and I discover the promises of God and build our lives on them. As a matter of fact, do a study for yourself. If you'll try to find out how many Bible promises there are, one says there's 3,000 and so many. One says there's 4,000 and so many. One site says there's 5,000 and so many. One was 7,000 and so many. And one was 8,000 and so many. Then I saw another site that said it ranges anywhere from three to 30,000 promises in the Bible. From three to 30,000 promises in the Bible. So you have to say there's a lot of promises made to us. Right? In the Bible, there's a lot. So there's a lot to build our life on, wouldn't you say? And if not one promise that God makes ever fails, he's got a great track record, I think it would be wise for all of us to build our lives upon those promises. Now, once again, we are human. We make mistakes. But before I comment on those, look at Numbers 23 and verse 19, because these, this verse reveals to us God's integrity. The integrity of God. If we're going to trust someone who gives us a promise, that person must be a person of integrity. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God's integrity. He has never told a lie. He has never broke a promise. But you and I were human. He's not. We're men and women. He is not. He cannot lie. He's at a better vantage point than what we are. But you and I, we can make a legitimate promise and not follow through. Maybe not intentionally, but because we are limited, finite beings. We would never make a promise to someone if we knew we couldn't keep it. People will make a promise knowing that they intend to keep it. But the reason why they may not keep it could be a circumstance changed. Yes, I'll be there next Saturday night. Uh, lo and behold, something happened. It's impossible for me to be there. Well, why? I'm in the hospital. It's Friday. I fell down got hurt. I'd love to be there, but I can't be there. Now, God would have known he was going to fall on Friday. He would never have said, I'll be there on Friday. Because he's, he's not a man to lie. So someone may have made a promise, but was not able to do it. Someone says, I'll be home from work at 5 o'clock for supper. But something took place unexpectedly. Maybe there was a traffic jam somewhere. You couldn't get through. Did you expect that? No. Did you mean to break the promise? No. But what happened? We're finite, limited beings. God would have known about the traffic jam. He would have never said, I'll be there at 5 o'clock. He said, I'll be there at 545. There's a traffic jam I'm going to have to deal with. He would have known that. See, he's not a man to lie, nor the son of man to repent. And this list can go on and on, including someone could be a person who has no integrity and just says something with no intention of backing it up whatsoever and making the promise good. But when it comes to God, praise God, he has never lied. He has always followed through. He's made good on every promise and not one promise has ever failed. So when it comes to integrity, 
He epitomizes integrity. Number two, look at Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17. So he has the integrity to follow through on a promise. And also he has the ability or the power to perform the promise. Now, in this verse it says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. I think that kind of says it all right there. What kind of ability does he have? Is he capable to follow through on a promise? He made heaven and earth with his great power. So his knowledge is unlimited. His power is unlimited. So therefore, no matter what he has promised, he has the ability to bring it to pass. Look at verses uh, 26 and 27. Jeremiah again. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? What's the answer? No. So he has the integrity. He would never say it if he wouldn't do it. He has the ability. He has the power to perform it or to bring it to pass. Let's, let's test this thing out. Let's see if God really is a God of all integrity and power. Look at Genesis chapter 18. And they said unto him, where, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And the Lord appointed, at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Was that too hard for him? It wasn't. As a matter of fact, he had power to turn back the hands of time on a woman and man's body, enabling them to conceive and have a son. You know, we could laugh at those things. God's not laughing. It doesn't matter what it is. He's got the power. He's got the ability. He's got the integrity to bring it to pass doesn't matter how old you are okay look at second uh, peter chapter three here we have god's willingness be, but beloved be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day the lord is not slack concerning his what his promise as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to us word not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here we see that he has promised to return. And many were saying, scoffingly, saying, where is he? I thought he was supposed to come. Is he going to come? Yeah, that promise is going to be fulfilled. But you see, he's willing to do that. And if we would have our way, it would be tonight. But he is not willing that any should perish. So we're waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. For the time of the Gentile to end. For the trumpet to sound. 
And then the graves open and the dead in Christ will rise. We are waiting for that. But until that time, God is not willing that any man should perish. So he is willing to fulfill a promise and that promise will be fulfilled in its due time. But we're waiting for it patiently, looking for the appearing of our Lord to come. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So God's willing. He's a God of integrity. He's a God of power. And he is a God of willingness. And he will bring to pass anything and everything he's ever promised and said, because that is his character. That's the kind of God we serve. Some of these things are going to be in due season. We understand that. But as you can see as well as I do, if you could build your life on anyone's character, anyone's power, anyone's willingness, who would it be? God himself. So he's making it very clear to us, look, build your house, structure it with these building materials. You talk about brick and mortar. You talk about impenetrable force. Follow the promises of God and see what he will do. Now, some of the promises we'll talk about tonight to consider. The first one, the promise of pardon. And if you didn't bring your shouting clothes, go home, get them, and come on back because you're going to shout. 1 John 1 9 is not like some have preached it in this generation. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some of the unrighteousness. How much of it? How much of it? Notice it's contingent. This is a promise. A promise of pardon. You and I miss the mark every day. We know that. We are living in fallen flesh. We're dealing with minds that are not totally renewed. We're dealing with forces in the world that come against us. Unseen forces of darkness. Influences that surround us. All these things are out there coming against us. And once in a while we fall victim to these things. Now we're not saying that we're trying to do that. You don't really much have to try to do that. It's part of life. But aren't you glad there's been provision made for pardon? And that if we do our part. See some promises have a contingency. If we confess, identify ourselves with our sin. He is faithful and just. To forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This promise is contingent upon our actions. If we don't confess our sins, what happens? We expose ourselves, don't we? We make ourselves vulnerable, don't we? Didn't Jesus say, if we hold even unforgiveness in our heart, the Father will not forgive us? Does it also say that my hand is not too short, my ear is not too heavy, but because of iniquity, I can't do what I want to do for you? Right? If we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear? Right. So it's contingent. It's contingent upon what? Our doing something. So if we want the promise of pardon to be fulfilled in our lives, what are we supposed to do? Confess our sin. Amen. Now, look at the next one. Protection. Protection. In Psalm 91, 
And I think this is a psalm that we probably have heard about much in the last three months with COVID-19. People got to plaster it on their refrigerators and around their house. Quoting it every day, right? Okay. It's a psalm of protection. But look at verses 10 and 11. Here's the promise. No evil will conquer you. This is from the New Living Translation. No plague will come near your home. Well, if we just stop right there, wouldn't that be wonderful? No evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. What a promise. No evil, no plague, and the assistance of angels to protect us. Garrison round about us. And that really brings some memories back to me when I consider first coming here 40 years ago and even unregenerate individuals on the streets of Midland said that they saw me walking through town. I was walking home from IGA and they wondered why I had these two huge bodyguards, one on one side of me and one on the other side of me. And asked one of our church members here why. And he said, our pastor doesn't have bodyguards. I saw them, but he doesn't have bodyguards. They were huge. He doesn't have bodyguards. He's huge, but they don't have bodyguards. You'll get that in a minute. What's my point? His angels will have charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Sometimes we're just not as aware as we need to be about the presence of our angels that surround us to protect us, to keep us safe, and so on. But that's the promise. But this promise also has a contingency clause. Look at verses 1 and 2, and then 14. Look what it says. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him. Look at verse 14. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. Now, what we see here is that Every child of God has a promise of protection. And every believer should desire to have this promise manifested in his or her life. But the contingency is this. We must dwell in the secret place of the Most High and abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We must set our love upon Him. Why? That He may deliver us and set us on high because we know His name. So we see here some contingencies. It's up to us to dwell in that place of his presence, which he calls the secret place. He that dwelleth in the secret place. Who's he? Someone special? Who's he? Someone who saw the ten plagues of Egypt? Who is he? Someone who saw the waters part of the Red Sea? Who's he? The one that saw in a burning fire furnace, the fourth man being the son of God? Who is he? Someone that maybe wrote a chapter in the Bible or a book of the Bible? Who is he? Is this he somebody who's just off the charts, good, rich, wealthy, healthy, strong, etc., etc., biggest house, 
Or is he somebody that's poor, weak, whatever? Who's this he he's talking about? He. You know who he is? He is the one God qualified. You can't qualify yourself. I can't qualify myself. That's an impossibility. But the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, guess what? You are qualified to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. It's a choice that we make to really live in the presence of God. So to speak, hang out with the living God. Look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. This is from the NIV. And it says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Who qualified us? Jesus did. Well, listen. What did you and I do in order to be qualified? Nothing. All we did was accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And by His blood, we become automatically qualified. To do what? To dwell in His presence. In the secret place of the Most High. To walk with Him, talk with Him, and share with Him. You see, it's not who we are. It's not what we've done. It's not what we possess. It's not the things that we have. What it is, who we have as Savior. Who we have as Lord. And He, praise God, is the one who qualified us. You see, it's not based on what we've got. It's based on him who he is and what he has it's not what i've got going for me or you got going for you if god be for us who can be against us it's not what i got going for me we got going for us it's what he has going for us and what he has going for us is himself. If God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. And we know the answer to that. So once again, if we hang out in his house, if we spend time in his presence, and we, Jesus talked about the secret place, remember in the Sermon on the Mount many times he said, when you pray, pray in secret. When you fast, fast in secret. When you give, give in secret. Didn't he say that? What's the secret place? It's the place between God and us. It's the place where he knows us intimately. He knows about our coming in, our going out. He knows about our thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's the place where we get alone with God and just say, I expose myself to you. I just submit myself to you. I want you to scrutinize my life. Shine a lot of your scrutiny upon my life. I want to be alone with you to get to, to know you better. I want to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Notice the expression, the Most High. This is speaking of the preeminence of God. This is speaking of the authority of God. The high position of God over all of the earth. He is the preeminent one. Thank God He is. Can you say amen? He is the one who has all authority and all power. The, it's, it's the pre place of His presence, the Most High. He's also the mighty. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of what? The Almighty. That's the El Shaddai. That speaks of His power. You see, Most High speaks of His preeminence and authority. El Shaddai speaks of His power. The Almighty. All-powerful. He made heaven and earth and seen all that in it is. Nothing is too difficult for Him. 
You can have strength. You can have power. But I guarantee if you don't have authority, it may not do you much good. You can be a strong individual, but if someone has authority over you, he's going to tell you exactly what to do with your power. And that's submit to his authority. So, if you dwell in this place of his presence, if we submit ourselves to him, we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, the Al Shaddai of our life, which means there's no problem too big for him, then say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He's my hiding place. This is where I run into, and this is where I am safe. Praise God. It means His presence. We've got His preeminence. We've got His power. And now, we have His presence. Living in the place of His presence. This is what the invitation was from the very beginning. Man lost the place of God's presence. Man was banished from the place of God's presence. God has been endeavoring to get man back to the place of his presence. In the tabernacle which was portable through the wilderness, it was God dwelling among men on earth so that they could be near his presence, but they couldn't get too near his presence because they would die. And so throughout the, uh, the days of the wilderness, we see them traveling uh, with this portable sanctuary, Portable tabernacle. Finally they got Solomon's temple built. And God's presence was there in the holiest place of all. But still man could not get close enough to that presence. Because only the high priest could with a sacrifice of blood. Once a year to atone for the sins of the people. But ultimately God kept saying I want you in this place of my presence. But thank God on that one day. When Jesus died, and the veil was ripped in twain from the top to the bottom, and the Shekinah glory went up to the heavenly holy of holies, and then Jesus paid the sacrifice for the sin of the world, and he came back down, praise God, and he revealed to us that right now we can become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have an invitation. Come boldly to the throne of grace, where you can obtain mercy, find grace to help in the time of need. And so thank God we can now dwell in the place of His presence if we long to, if we desire to, if we want to. And if we do, no plague will come now your dwelling. No evil will befall us. He'll deliver us. And so on and so forth. Praise God. Thank God. That's our next point. Look at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It's called presence. Let your character be, or moral, dis this is from the Amplified Version, moral disposition be free from love and of money, including greed, avarice, lust, craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said, this is God speaking, I will not in any way fail you nor give you up nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Would you say he's pretty pointed about what he's meaning here? Why? So we take comfort and, and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, Oh, hallelujah. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. If he's never going to leave us, never forsake us, we are guaranteed his presence. His presence is with us everywhere we go. 
We have his preeminence. We have his power. We have his presence among us. Look at Psalm 46 and verses 1 and 2. What it means to us and should mean to us. God's our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear though the earth be removed. Though the mountains be carried to the midst of the sea. Doesn't matter how tragic he is saying the situation might be. We have an ever present God. Who is our present help in time of our trouble or difficulty or problem. Who has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that you can boldly say it. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 43 and verses 1 through 3, the first part of verse 3. But now says the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Why? I am the Lord your God. What's he saying? I'll be with you in the fire. I'll be with you in the waters. I will be there in your time of trouble. And I will deliver you because I am the Lord your God. Look at Isaiah 41 verse 10, just a few uh, chapters back. Fear, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You talk about promises. Think about those promises that we're just hearing right here. Anywhere we go, wherever we go, even when trouble lurks around the corner, we should know that he is right there to do what? To lift us up, to deliver us, to help us, to strengthen us, to provide for us what is necessary for us to rise up above whatever it is that we're facing. To part that Red Sea, we could walk over on dry land. To bring water out of a rock. Millions of gallons of water out of a rock. But when we think about how we have limited God. Remember Psalm 78, 41 that tells us they limited the Holy One of Israel. Our, you know, our finite thinking, our inability to expand how we think because we're so bound by human limitations. We cannot think. Call a plumber, bring him over to your house and say, I got this big rock in my backyard can you figure out how to get some water to come out of it? I only need about, I don't need 11 million gallons a day. Maybe eight. You think he'd look at you and just say, have you lost your mind? You want me to bring water out of that rock? How in the world am I going to do that? Oh, I'm sorry, you're not God. God can. God knows how. You talk about his ways on our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than our ways and our thoughts. Who would have thought? That you could bring water out of a rock. That rock that followed them was Christ. 11 million gallons of water out of a rock. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Hallelujah. Well, beloved, He is with us. He's on our side. He's our God. He's everything that we need for Him to be. Even at this time when we go through all that we're going through in this land. It's very easy for us to get down and just think, but what's going on? You know, they're already predicting right now another outbreak. Right? That's all you hear. Another outbreak. I'll be honest with you. We just got out of the first one. We just turned green last Friday, right? Right. And now they're talking about it's getting worse and all that. We've got to get to the place that, yes, we can, we can take precaution. We'll do everything we possibly can. But you know what? Let's exalt this word above what we're hearing. Let's take a hold of these truths and just say, okay, I know what they're saying, Lord, but you are greater than that. You are bigger than that. We are going to be among the, let's say, few people, if you will, 
We're going to be the Joshua's and the Caleb's are of this generation. And we are going to say our God is greater. Our God is bigger. Our God is preeminent. He's more powerful. And praise God, His presence is right here. If you don't want to believe it for you, a thousand will fall at your side. My side, ten thousand my right hand. It will not come nigh to me. If people of the world don't want to believe that, if television reporters don't want to believe that, People in society want to believe that. Whoever doesn't want to believe that. A thousand will fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand. We need to say that about ourselves every single day. Say it. A thousand fall at my side. Ten thousand at my right hand. It will not come nigh unto me. Well, doesn't that sound powerful? And when you hear yourself say it, it does something. It produces a boldness on the inside. Praise God. Provision is our last one. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. Can you imagine this? If there's 30,000, if there's truly 30,000, if there's only 8,000 promises, we haven't scratched the surface. Have we? We could talk about promises till Jesus comes. But look how powerful they are. Philippians 4.19. God has God obligated himself to the extent of our needs. My God shall supply all your need according to the economy in the United States of America or China or the stock market. No, no. According unto his riches in glory by whom? Christ Jesus. Now you think about buddying up with Christ Jesus. He knows how to pay taxes. Call for a fish. Do you ever wonder how much money was there to pay the tax? The fish got it. It was good enough. I'm sure there's billions of dollars under the waters of the seas around the world. And guess what? Jesus knows where it's all at. He sends a fish. He brings it back. I need some bread. He'll give you leftover bread. 12 baskets full. Small lunch. Feeds everybody. Thousands of people are fed. What an economy he runs. What do you got there? I got this little one fish and a little bit of bread. Sit down. Let's just give thanks to the Lord and praise him for that. And feeds thousands of people. We don't know anything, do we? What do we really know? Anyhow. Notice in Psalm 84 and verse 11. He has obligated himself to provide for all of our needs. Food, clothing, shelter, shelter, love, companionship, whatever it is that we need, he's obligated himself to provide it for us. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing. There isn't one good thing that he's withholding from anyone who walks uprightly before him. Nothing. He provides for all of our need. Aren't you glad that he does? In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 30, just to condense it, just to show you. Here's what he tells us. Verse 25. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on in your body. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? And the answer is yes. Then look at verse 30. 
Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? See, it's contingent upon what we believe. And that's why I say, even in the face of all this negativism that's out there about all that we're experiencing, whether it's um, what's going on with riots and all that, whether it's going on with COVID-19 and all that, do you think any of them out there, thousands gathered together, are speaking God's word over the situation? Honestly, do you? If we don't do it, if our voice is silent, then who's going to do it? We have to do it. We have to proclaim it. Not buy into it. Speak out against it. So they can say what they want, but we're saying in Jesus' name, that enemy is turned back. It will not prevail. And those that have been attacked, we're believing for them to be well and to be made whole. But the point is, God, this is His character. He's a sun and shield who gives grace and glory constantly. He doesn't hold anything that's good from those that walk uprightly. Nothing whatsoever. And He provides for all of their need. So we need faith to believe that, to bring it into manifestation. And finally... I love this verse. These verses of Scripture are powerful, especially when it comes to promises. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that's called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us. You ready for them? exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There it is. How do we escape the corruption in the world? Through the great, precious promises of God. That's how we do it. So would it behoove us to find out what these promises are? And there's so many more promises of God. But if any man be in Christ, he is qualified because he is a new creature. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. He has made us more than conquerors. He has made us world overcomers. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. His promises are what? Precious. Precious. And yes, they are yea. And the amen is given by us. Let's stand together.